Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast and Videocast. Of course, we are back here after a long, long absence since the last pay per view. I'm Jake Latarski, joined by John Littering. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J O N L I T T E R I N E. You can give me a follow at Roto Jake. Today, we're going to be making our biggest, uh, our picks for the biggest fights at UFC 266, Volkanovsky Ortega. John, it's been a while since we last talked. I don't know what, how best to break the ice, but we've had a bunch of fight night cards looking at Anthony Smith, Derek Bronson, Giga Chikadze, all pretty impressive. Anybody really stand out to you? I mean, I'll go with Anthony Smith because, I mean, that was the most recent one last week. He looked good. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're at the point where it's pretty clear he's, you know, he might not be on the level as like the same top light, the top light heavyweights on the roster, but man, he's not that far off. And considering how many fights that guy's had and how many wars he's been over the years, he's he's a threat in there, man. It takes, you know, takes an army to get him out. And he's pretty good everywhere. His power is good. And I mean, if you're a young guy, like, I don't know, Span didn't look particularly good, but, you know, Anthony Smith's not going to beat himself. You're going to have to go in and get him out of there. And, you know, Span couldn't do it. Yeah, and a lot of people have been talking about his jujitsu, saying it's crazy to roll with him in the gym. Like, it's definitely – he's sneaking a couple submission wins. You know, he got Devin Clark, Ryan Spann. Like you said, that's how he got Goose Gustafson. That's how he got Volkan Ostemir. All rear naked – well, the triangle with Devin Clark. Like, the guy is a threat. He's an absolute legit threat on the mat here. Do I think he's going to go out there and roll over, you know, the Blakovich Teixeira winner? Probably not. He's already got that knockout loss to Glover Teixeira, and he wasn't particularly impressive. But going to be tough to uh, deny him a title shot. Maybe give him, maybe give him Jiri Proshaka. See what happens there. I think he has Farakic. I mean, I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, he lost the first time. But, I mean, the thing with Anthony Smith is he's been in so many fights that there's nothing in there that he hasn't seen. So, mm-hmm. like, once in a while, you got, like, a young fighter or an inexperienced fighter who just doesn't know how to handle a certain situation. There's, like, literally nothing in the sport that Anthony Smith hasn't seen. So, if you're counting on him, you know, hoping he makes a mistake to capitalize, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to go in and beat him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely here. So, uh, a couple things, housekeeping things I want to get through before we jump right into the fights. Of course, sports betting section from sports for sportsbooks live on Rotowire. We only got really main event props, but by the time we get later in the week, it can sort by things like first-round knockout, uh, likelihood of winning by knockout. Uh, so all these DFS helpful things. And you can also kind of shop around sports books if you're in one of those states that is uh, wised up in legalized sports betting here, of course. And then uh, one more thing, uh, programming announcement. Fight IQ is back on Friday at 8 Eastern on this very channel here. If you're here, thank you for joining us on the Rotowire MMA YouTube channel. We're trying to build that up from, uh, you know, kind of from the bottom up here as uh you know we sent the main channel to focus largely on nfl stuff so uh we're going to talk about ufc 266 today hopefully get some dfs maybe some bets uh you know only DraftKings salaries are out right now so that's the focus here and let's get to it uh main event featherweight championship we have the you know 
technically the finale of season 29 of the ultimate fighter was a few weeks back when you know they crowned the ultimate fighter but now we're going to have the coaches finally go at it here alexander volkanovsky brian ortega the champion volkanovsky is 8600 on drafting 7600 for uh, ortega Vegas odds reflect that as well. Minus 165 for Volkanovsky. Comeback on Ortega is plus 145. Odds to finish, plus 100. Basically a pick em here. Uh, what are your first thoughts on this fight, John? I mean, I guess my first thought was that it's pretty clear, I think, that Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway are the two best featherweights in the world today. You know, I don't really think at this point there's really much argument about that. Um, I also think that they just fought twice in a row and there's no way the UFC could go back to it a third straight time. So, um, you know, if you're subscribing to that theory, I don't really have a problem with Ortega getting I mean, the shot. I thought Holloway won the second fight for whatever that's worth. A lot maybe of they could did. go, could go back for the third time, but I don't know. Maybe that was just me, you know, tilting for my drafting lineup. Yeah, I mean, too much. You know, I'll have to rewatch that a few more times. They'll get but, there. I mean, yep. it, I'd, I'd be shocked if they don't fight again at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky is, I mean, of course, we know by now, totally legitimate. Um, he lost his third pro fight in May of 2013. So we're on, you know, eight plus years now. Um, and he hasn't lost since. Um, he's not in the UFC. And he's one of those guys who, like, really was just roster deaf when he arrived. And he's now the UFC featherweight champion. Um, his power is probably the best in the division in terms of, like, just sheer knockout power. Um, you know, Holloway might have him in uh, volume and technical skill and that kind of stuff. But I think in terms of sheer power, he's probably the top guy in the division. Um, featherweight's loaded, and Volkanovski definitely has a chance to hold the belt for a long period of time. This is an interesting fight because it's um, Brian Ortega's second shot at UFC gold. Um, he fought Holloway, who was champion then back in November 2018. I'm uh, sorry, December 2018, and he was hammered. He was absolutely not even close. No, if you see, there's a. Whenever I think of that fight, I think of that uh, that little video of uh, it's in the fourth round or because they stop it at the end where Holloway's toying with him and he puts Ortega's hand up like he's showing him how to defend himself and then he stops and he steps back and one twos. It was bad, so lopsided. One of the most significant, one of the best DFS performances in featherweight history. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's funny because I mean, look, that's not Brian Ortega's game. Brian Ortega is a ground mat specialist. Um, you know, he can submit any man in the world. And there's no doubt that a prolonged striking battle plays into the hands of Olkanovsky. That being said, I was really, really impressed with what we saw from Brian Ortega last October, his most recent fight. So we're going on almost a year against the Korean zombie. Not only did he beat the zombie, he crushed him in what was essentially a 25-minute kickboxing match. He hammered him. And, you know, that's not enough for me to ultimately pick him over Volkanovski, but it gives me hope that this fight's going to be closer than I would have thought it would have been at this time last year. Like, if you told me a year ago these two were going to fight, I would tell you Volkanovski would just hammer Ortega. Um, His performance against the Korean Zombie definitely gave me more hope that this will be a competitive fight. Um, You know, in many ways, like the Ortega story is kind of like Henry Cejudo, where Cejudo's case it was wrestling, in Ortega's case it's his um, his ground, you know, BG. Uh, it's his guillotine, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. yeah. But like we always said that if Henry Cejudo even got like his striking to like even average, he'd be a UFC champion. He did, and he was a two division UFC champion. Um, it's kind of similar to Ortega, like his striking is certainly you know, much better than it was even a couple of years ago. Um, and he's so damn good on the mat that he has a legitimate chance to win a UFC title based on his ground game. Like if his striking can just hold up, he has a real shot. The difference is, you know, Volkanovsky as good as the zombie is, you know, there's a gap mm-hmm. and Ortega has a history of being a slow starter. Um, he's won a bunch of fights early in his UFC career late and, that's not going to work against a guy like Volkanovski, who tends to be really aggressive. Um, Ortega's going to have to come out ready to fight. I, you know, he can't fall behind on the scorecards because he's not going to be able to generate a ton of offense in a short period of time. You know, I think he's a lot of underdog um, as far as like the Vegas odds and the salaries. Just looking at it, I mean, everything seems about right. You know, to me, nothing crazy. Um, 
I thought maybe Volkanovski would be a little, you know, maybe more like 185 or 190 as opposed mm-hmm. to 165. But I, you know, I guess that's about right. Um, I just, I still think in the end, I think the ultimate result is just going to be a third fight between Volkanovski and Holloway. But I think this yeah. would be a good fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking at this card, like my initial first look reaction where that was there are a ton of big, heavy favorites on here. We'll talk about Shevchenko in a second. There are a couple of other big favorites, and I'm really having a tough time picking dogs. So if you have any chance, uh, if you think Ortega has any chance or, you know, if it's closer to 50-50, then, you know, maybe he's the guy that you use for salary relief in your lineup. And there is some GPP potential there because he can always, you know, I mentioned the guillotine, right? I don't think uh, Volkanovski will really shoot for too many takedowns here. You never know, but he's got to be damn careful on that entry because that's where Ortega gets his come from behind wins in these fights. Like you said, he starts slow and then so many, you look at his fight log, someone tries to shoot a takedown. He grabs you by the neck. He's got one of the tightest, best guillotines, uh, you know, in the game that I can remember in recent memories and, 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 and he submits you and then that happens and that would be a good GPP score in that situation but really when we bring this all full circle i can't really advocate picking ortega in this fight i think Volkanovski's better pretty much all around and the other question you have to ask yourself is in the zombie fight is this the zombie starting to regress a little bit at the age of 34 now he did just come off a unanimous decision when he rebounded against dan ige and 50k ige is no joke at all before that you know he knocked out frankie edgar which it seems like everyone's doing these days so i'm not quite ready to uh um to uh to get the uh to offer this quite yet but um but no i think this is volkanovsky i'm gonna bring this full circle i think john got froze out here so i'm gonna have him log out and log back in um so he should do that. Yep. And then we're going to add him back on in just a second here. So you get my mug for a second. Sorry about the technical difficulties that might happen once or twice a show. Once he's good, I'll, uh, I'll go. But anyway, yeah, my, my Volkanovsky analysis is pretty much pretty similar to John's overall. I mean, he's, he's a better all around fighter in most aspects of the game here. Um, you know, he's got a couple inches in reach on him. That's definitely going to help. He's got a big volume edge. So I think he can score pretty well in a decision. And um, I just there's a whole lot to like here with Volkanovski, and I'm gonna, I'm going to stick with him. We're going to be similar probably on a lot of these picks, and we definitely want to get in here. Um, so I'm going to see if I can get John back here. Uh, boom, here he is. All right, that was that was a too much of an extreme close up for me, John. So I'm glad we I'm glad we right. split back here. There we um, go. And we're back here. So, but yeah, no, I was making a lot of the same points as you with Volkanovski. He's a good DraftKings score. And, you know, the big, the big thing with Ortega is, you know, you know, I used to, AJ used to write for us. And when he was doing Betty analysis, he would always say that you can't get married to one particular outcome in a fight because then you, you know, you open yourself out to so many different ways. If that path doesn't go as promised, then Ortega's path to victory probably is to grab that guillotine on a late round entry. And I trust Volkanovski will have, you know, better fight IQ and be aware or know that that's coming, but I can't get married to that one outcome. You know, we'll have, we have some exposure, you know, if you're making say 20 lineups, you know, you throw Ortega in one or two because you have to there. The dogs on this card are not great. We'll move to some of the other underdogs later on. And there's some underdogs, you know, in the, in the low seven thousands ups, upper six thousands that I, I wouldn't touch with the 10 foot pole. So we're about to have, get to one. Yeah, exactly. Well, you have some exposure to Ortega. Sure. Is, could he be a little live? Should he grab that submission? I wouldn't be shocked if that happened by any means, but I think if you, you know, in a one-to-one straight up, the pick has to be Volkanovski. Yeah, I mean, you know, we always talk about it all the time. It's also harder to project a submission than it is a knockout. I mean, there's like a set of circumstances that has to go through, a, you know, in order to pull a submission, and a knockout could just be one punch, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's more difficult. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So like you said, uh, we're going to get to the co-main, another title fight in a second. But first, uh, it doesn't matter so much for our live viewers, but I'm going to quick pause if you're listening to this on a podcast. Going to quick pause for a sponsor or from a word from our sponsors here at Blue Wire. And we are back here talking UFC 266. Uh, we're going to move on to the co-main event, another uh, a title fight in the women's flyweight division. We've got one of the most dominant champions in the entire sport at flyweight, Valentina Shevchenko, taking on Lauren Murphy. Shevchenko is the highest price fighter on DraftKings at 9,500. Murphy comeback is 6,700. Shevchenko is about a minus 1,500 favorite <laughs> in the sports books. That should tell you everything. Now, listen, I'm looking at the DraftKings sports book, minus 1,500. 
the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook has her minus 2,000. I think that's the biggest one. There's some of these not-so-legal ones that I'm not really allowed to sh- say that are less, but, I mean... It's you- a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So again, if you're not if you're new to this, if you're new to the show, just learning betting odds, you have to risk two thousand dollars to win one hundred dollars in that situation here. And John, yeah. unless you're like Floyd Mayweather, it's a terrible idea. Exactly, exactly. If you got that huge bankroll, there's just not a lot to gain here. And John, I know you always say in your column, if it's over minus one thousand, the fight really has no business being made here. And are you in agreement? I take it for this one. Still hasn't changed. Uh, you know, even less than that, got it. Minus 700, minus 800, still probably shouldn't be happening. Um, mm-hmm. you know, this, uh, you know, I'm so this isn't going to sound particularly interesting, it's going to sound like every other one we do here. Um, you know, this is a division that just, you know, has very little depth. Um, and I think relative to whoever else is in her division or in his division, I think, um, Valentino Shevchenko is probably the most dominant fighter in the sport today. Um, you know, there's no one in the division that can remotely come close to touching her. Um, Valentina last fought in April. She, you know, she hammered Jessica Andrade. Um, and I wrote up in my column. I actually, I honestly, I think she's getting bored. Like I really do. Like she doesn't, she knows she's going to win these fights. She doesn't really have to do. She's had a couple like so-so performances like, um, I want to say like the Liz Carmouche fight, like she didn't look like great. But the Liz Carmouche fight is since she last fought Amanda Nunes, which was her last loss. The Carmouche fight was the only time she's been. Well, one of two times she's been under 100 DraftKings points, and that was her lowest one, 74.3. So obviously you're not even getting 10x if you're priced at 95. 74.3 is like not a horrible score. But yeah. like for her, for her, it's like not yeah. good enough. I mean, at this price, I mean, you, the whole goal, the whole point of DraftKings, right, uh, is you need 12x is generally the rule of thumb to get GPPs here. So, you know, y- you need her to get 114 points to really hit value at this. And she did it against Andrade. She did it against Maya. Didn't do it against I. Didn't do it against Joanna. Of course, did it in, against uh, Priscilla, Priscilla Cachera, thanks to uh, you know Mario Yamasaki's kind of incompetence there. He's no longer a ref. Like, in, it's hard to believe. She, it's like hard to believe like she didn't do it against I. Mm-hmm. Although that was like so lopsided immediately that like yeah. I mean, this is what you're gonna get. Like your chances of Shevchenko paying off at ninety four five hundred essentially probably boils down to how much of a beating Lauren Murphy can take. Like that's mm-hmm. like what it comes down to. Cause like if Valentina crushes her in six seconds, like you're not going to get like, yeah, you're going to get like, you know, an immediate win. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get all, you're not going to rack yeah. up all those strike points hey, and all that. Gone in 60 second bonus. They're trying to fix. Yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I feel bad. Cause like uh, Lauren Murphy is probably like the best of what is an extremely limited group of options. Mm-hmm. Um, she's won five fights in a row. So like, at least you're not giving it like something we've talked about. Sometimes like someone wins like one fight or they've never even fought in a division and they get a title shot. At least she's won five fights in a row. But I mean, like in there are like a couple split decisions from like Joanne Calderwood and Andrea Lee, who are probably the best ones Murphy has beaten. Five of her last in her five decisions, her five last decisions, three of them were split decisions, including yeah. the, the uh, Calderwood fight recently in which she was outstruck 123 to 180. Yeah, I thought she lost that fight. But I mean, that's a different story. She's turned 38 years of age this past July. It's I think. And it's kind of we've Amanda Nunes tr- traditionally has had a hard time drawing too, mm-hmm. as if she's leading a card, and it's just no one can take these fights seriously. I mean, it's really, really hard, and it's just there's no other way. The UFC is spinning their wheels until Nunes and Shevchenko fight again. Mm-hmm. For both yeah. of them, not just Shevchenko fights, for Nunez fights. I mean, we'll yeah. talk about it when it happens. But, I mean, Nunez is going to kill Juliana Payne. Yeah, it's looking like December 12th for that one. And, like, I mean, you, you know, they, they put the interim heavyweight as the main event over the or over the uh, Amanda Nunez. This was the last time we talked about this when the Nunez fight got called off. But they basically forced an interim heavyweight to not have Nunez headline a card. You know, yeah. and, and I mean, as no great as she is, that, yeah. no one can give her a competitive fight. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you don't have any challengers, you effectively don't have any interest. And 
this is this is a good card from top to bottom. Like this is a good card. But I mean, there's at least five or six fights on the undercard I'd rather watch than this fight. I mean, it's just how it is. It's not it's yep. not really a fight. It's just mm-hmm. and you know, sure you, you get like a Ronda Rousey over Holly Holm, um Holly Holm over Ronda Rousey, you know, or Matt Serra over George St. Pierre. But I mean, these things happen like once every 10 years. You know, like the uh, that's why you're a minus fifteen hundred, a minus two thousand favorite. Exactly. And you have to, if you make a bunch of lineups, you got to get a piece of Shevchenko somewhere because she's so much better than her opponent. Like yeah. it wouldn't be the least bit surprising if she if Murphy lasted till the fourth round and ate four hundred strikes or something insane. But as far as like a competitiveness for the actual like who's going to win and who's going to lose, it, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for survivor pools. For any kind of cash games, 50-50s, double-ups, head-to-head contests, you definitely want to get Shevchenko there. The question then becomes, we've got a uh, UFC 266 special. I believe it's $700,000 is the prize pool, 150 k to first place. The question then becomes, will using Shevchenko be advantageous in these large prize pools where you need to differentiate yourself or do you pivot to other fighters that could score equally as well now i don't want to de- go you know too far down uh the undercard here but you know you took look at another women's fight um a manon fioro who is a uh who has just been railing through her competition lately she sits at what around 9100 and you know could you get the same thing the odds won't say the same but i think you can get the same DraftKings scoring and that 400 dollars is quite a bit on this card here so as much as i love shevchenko i think she's by far a guarantee to win the biggest guarantee to win on this card you just you just never know sometimes you might need to get a little weirder if you're going to try to get that 150k top prize which i mean what we saw the showdown millie maker in uh in nfl last night get split so many ways that i think the first place person won like six grand i don't know if i have that right or not but uh you know in that in that ability so she'll be popular i would guess shevchenko if you're trying to project ownership she'll be the highest rostered fighter on the entire slate will she win Absolutely, but I have I, I can't tell you if she's going to do it at four minutes around one or four minutes around two. It really, like you said, depends on how much of a beating Murphy can take. And I'll give Lauren Murphy this. I mean, look, she's not going to win, but she's tough. Like, she's never been knocked out in her career. Now, look, taking a beating from Valentina Shevchenko is not the same as taking a beating from Joanne Calderwood or Andrea Lee or anything like that, but... She's tough, you know. The value, you know, people. I'm sure they'll show the clip of I forget who she was fighting when Lauren Murphy lost like half her ear. Like, you know, she's tough, but this is just, and it's not, it's not Murphy personally. Like, this is what mm-hmm. you get. You know, you have yeah. a division that doesn't have anybody. Yeah, and definitely. Like, I mean, anybody, anyone that listens to this, it's never personal. Like, I'm sure she's an awesome person. She seems really cool. Um, I would love to have her on a show sometimes, but uh, you just got to be honest and real here. It's just, it's just not happening on Saturday. No, it's definitely not. All right, so let's take talk about one that is actually much much closer in the sports books. This is one in which I have a real hard time trying to find a path in this fight, but it's looking like a pick'em across just about every sports book. I think FanDuel gives Lawler. A slight edge in theirs. Actually, FanDuel and DraftKings both give Lawler a slight edge, but you can find pickups uh, in a lot of places here for sure. Uh, so let me give the rundown here. We'll get John back in just a moment here. Um, let's see here. Uh, what do I have? I've got... That always makes me lose my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler. This is a fight a lot of people are getting excited for. Absolutely. This is one, you know, that old school fight fans. You mentioned that, uh, John, when we first started covering, Nick Diaz was one of the first guys that we had, um, period, here. And uh, and he has just been he's been around. I, I had a funny story queued up. You know, we make player IDs when guys are added to our, uh, our database here. And I think Nick Diaz was 27 and Raleigh, Robbie Lawler was 28 in terms of the people added to our player pool. And, you know, as opposed to guys that are just debuting now, we're about to 2,200, um, something along those lines here. So anyway, let's get to the meat and potatoes here. Lawler, 8,300 on DraftKings, 
Diaz, 7,900. It's basically a pick them on the Vegas odds. Both of these guys are at minus 110 here. The odds to finish are plus 130. When you have a pick them, and of course you have the difference in salaries, um, you're going to have some line value. So you're going to have line value on Diaz. Nick Diaz is very, very popular, as is Robbie Lawler here. I might have to boot John from the stream one more time to see if we can get this going. Um, I'm gonna, Yep, there we go. And uh, so, anyway, here's what here's the point I'm going to make on this fight. Nick Diaz being having the line value and having you know the Diaz brothers are some of the most popular names, biggest draws in the entire sport of mixed martial arts. Diaz, if you're trying to project ownership in DFS, is going to be much much higher owned than Robbie Lawler for that reason. So you could come to the other side and maybe think of Robbie Lawler as, as, as a leverage play, and that would be fair. You take the less popular fighter uh, to try to gain on the field. That's a viable GPP strategy, you know. Definitely DFS players have been doing this. You know, the pro players do this for ages and, and maybe heighten up that exposure here with Lawler. Um, but I have a real tough time thinking uh, who's going to win this one. I want your take and how you arrived at your pick, John. I have no idea. I, I I can't remember writing up a fight where you have two guys who have combined for more than 80 pro fights. So they've both been around forever. I have no idea whatsoever what's going to happen in this fight. None. Like, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, Nick Diaz has not fought since we started covering MMA at Rotowire. Yeah, that's, that's when you first went out of the stream. That's the story yeah. I was trying to tell. Yeah. Yeah, January 31st, right 2015 was the last Ooh. time Nick Diaz fought. So we're on God going on. Was that the fight where he was doing his laying down on the canvas thing because Anderson Silva wouldn't come after him? Or am I thinking of a different one? That could have been that one. God, it's been so long. I don't even remember. Yeah. I mean, look, this is Nick Diaz is 38 years old. Just turned 38 early last month. I, God, I have no idea what's going to happen in this fight. I don't think anybody does. Um, and hence the pick them, you know, it's, it's, it's a total, I God, I mean, these two fought back in 2004, which was UFC 47. I mean, what are we at now? What is this? 266. Yeah. It's been a while. Um, look, Lawler looks done. You know, I think we can kind of agree on that. He's just been so many wars over the years. I just don't think he has anything left, but I mean, he's fighting a guy who hasn't fought in six and a half years. Um, so I ultimately took Diaz. I can't believe I did that. And the literal lone reason I did it is that we know how tough both Diaz brothers are and how difficult they are to get out of there. So even if Robbie goes off on Diaz, I think Diaz will be able to hang around. Yep. Um, I don't know if Diaz is going to be able to, I mean, it's been so long. I don't know if he's going to be able to generate enough offense to get Lawler out of there. But I know Lawler's vulnerable, and I know Diaz is tough. And, like, you toss that in with the, what, $400 you save in salary? Like, that's literally how I got my got to my, my pick. I have no idea. I truly can't remember ever writing up a fight where I have less idea what's going to happen. It's mm-hmm. like I – if you told me Lawler was going to come across and throw one haymaker – like, I wouldn't be totally shocked. I mean, I'd be shocked because of how tough Diaz is. But, like, and if you told me that Lawler is so fragile now that Diaz walked across the cage and just walked him down and finished him in two seconds, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. about that either. I have no idea what's going to happen here. Like, yeah. None. yeah. Listen, I'm going to give it my best shot to try to make some sense out of this. But let's take this with a grain of salt because my large, largely I'm with you, John. I just. I, I can't say with any confidence, but here's kind of a path that how I'm arriving here. Uh, you have to decide if you're picking this fight um, what the value of recent activity is of late. Now, Lawler has lost four fights in a row. Uh, Rafael Dos Santos, solid opponent, no shame in that. Um, Colby Covington, very solid opponent and current title contender, uh, no shame in that at all. Ben Askren lost. Looks terrible right now, especially after what Ben Askren's tried to do in the boxing ring here. But it was a bulldog choke and a very controversial stoppage here by Herb Dean. You know, he looked like he Herb Dean defended it. You know, he I commend him for defending it about, you know, I've seen fighters hurt and crank their neck that way. So he called the fight. Um, 
and and also mind you, Lawler had him almost knocked out before he Askren was able to recover there. And then of course you have a decision here lost to Neil Magny. Four losses in a row. And that makes me think of the old uh the Loki quote from Avengers Infinity War, where he's like, he, is failure experience? And then Loki says, No, experience is experience. So um, you know, take with that what you will, because the this whole time, you know, Lawler's been getting smoked. I mean, of course, he had that uh nice little reign as champion there. Um that whole time, you know, Diaz has been on the sidelines unfairly, by the way, Nevada athletic commission spending him for five years and making him pay a six figure fine is absolutely ludicrous for something, which by the way, marijuana that is legal uh, in the state of Nevada, they just approved that. So, you know, just going to take, take a side there. Um, anyway, so where am I going with this? Yeah. You have to decide the value of experience. Um, and then there's the MMA miles factor, right? Robbie Lawler had one of the best chins, um, in the entire sport, I mean, since that UFC 47 loss where he was knocked out by uh, by Nate Diaz there, I believe that was in the second round. Yeah, he was knocked out by Nick Diaz in the second round in April 2nd of 2004. Since then, he's only been knocked out once, and that was by Tyron Woodley, um, who who uh, of course became champion and defended that. And you know, he's had his whole deal since. Um, I just I think the MMA miles on Robbie Lawler are are too many go back and watch Lawler McDonald too. one of the craziest ones. Obviously we saw what he did to McDonald basically ended his career. McDonald was never the same fighter after that, but he took plenty of licks of his own and he's taken plenty of licks since then. So this might be a case. Now, maybe I'm trying to talk myself too much into narrative where, you know, five years on the sidelines compared to getting absolutely pummeled for the better part of five years might actually be an advantage. And that's why I landed on Nick Diaz. But, man, um, there are a lot of reasons why that could maybe be a bad idea, too. I think there's line value there, and he's going to be super popular. So you better bank that he gets it done. I don't know if Diaz, you know, because I mentioned the kind of screwing around against the in Silva in the Silva fight. I don't know if he's going to be focused on putting up enough volume, you know, over the course of this many rounds to be able to take a decision. And both of these guys are really tough to get out of here. So with Diaz, you kind of got to bank on the knockout a little bit. If it goes 15 minutes, I think Lawler will probably out volume him, but I don't have any confidence in Robbie Lawler after what I've seen of late necessarily. And like I said, it's five years on the sidelines. You know, he's in good shape. They're triathletes versus five years of getting pummeled. So that's how I negate the experience factor and land on Diaz. But, man, this is a really tough one to get to. Yeah, the last thing you said was something I wanted to bring up. There's never been a fight where either Diaz brothers showed up and they weren't in shape. You know, you can say what you want. They don't, you know, obviously, neither is getting out of bed unless it's a massive paycheck. Um, they don't, They you know, we know how much they hate dealing with the media obligations and all that crap. Mm-hmm. But they both love training. You know, they both stay in terrific shape and they're both tough as hell. Like, there's no way Nick Diaz is going to show up Saturday not ready to fight. Like, I'm 100% confident in that. He's not going to show up looking like a slob, you know, barely make weight and just, you know, get run. Like, I'm, that's the least of my concerns. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they yeah. he will be in good shape. Mm-hmm. Also, for what it's worth, Nick Diaz, even after all that time off, is the younger fighter by, you know, like a year or so. <laughs> you know, take. With I don't that. know. I just, I have, it's just, I have a problem getting past all the damage Lawler's taken. Mm-hmm. He looks like a different guy. You mentioned McDonald too. I mean, McDonald, Roy McDonald was like viewed as like a future heavyweight champion and like one of the best prospects in the world. And I mean, now he's like dropping fights in yeah. PFL. The guys most people never heard of. Yeah, Lawler took his soul in that fight. That they just, both did. They were. I, I mean, yeah. look at the pictures of both of them when it's yeah. over. Like neither and, guy and, is yeah. the same. Yeah, I mean, Lawler had his lip cut all the way up to his nose. McDonald's nose was never the same ever again. He broke his nose in every fight. I mean, honestly, and I'm gonna look. I mean, and Rory's like not. I'm gonna look it up so I don't get it wrong. Like he's not that old. Like Rory's how old is Rory? Rory is, God, he's only 32. He was born in 89. You know, he's yeah, not old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, we talk about MMA miles, and it, again, that's. You, so in summary, I'll say this one more time. You decide whether getting beat for five years and getting the reps is more important or saving your body is more important. You know, after rewatching some of Lawler's fights, I, I think that Diaz is probably better off taking that break here. And of course, he'll be here in shape. But, you know, we've hit that a ton. I think that's going to be the fan favorite fight. It does a lot for the casual fan, the nostalgic fan especially. But uh, let's keep this thing moving here. Heavyweight matchup, Curtis Blades, Jair Rosenstruik. 
Blades 9200, Rosenstrike 7000. Blades minus 320 favorite, Rosenstrike plus 250 is the comeback. Odds to finish, minus 200. Outside of Shevchenko, that's the best on the main card here. You probably want this fight in some way, shape, or form. Now, in my experience, I'll go first on this one. In my experience, um, watching Curtis Blades, he coming off losses, um, you know, to Nganu and the, uh, well, Nganu twice, he's bounced back pretty in a pretty good way to each of his losses. He's bounced back with four fight winning streaks. He's probably coming out here with a vengeance, 30 years old. I remember back when we were still doing that now defunct Dynasty League, Blades was a big pick in that because he's always a high scorer and he's also very good. And we kind of assume, you know, if it weren't for Nganu, there's no doubt in my mind he would probably be champion uh, right now, one way or another. But Time to take a step back after losing to Derek Lewis in spectacular fashion. Um, and, you know, Lewis went on to get the title shot after that. Now we kind of take a step back. He faces another big power puncher in Jair Rosenstrike. And at 7,000 on DraftKings, if you're looking to hit that home run and you put your eggs in that one-punch knockout basket, I mean, let's face it, you're going to have to throw some things in your lineup that you don't think with your heart of hearts is going to happen. And you just need to play the numbers and hope the right combination of these guys strike. Could Rosen strike, get him? Yeah, he absolutely could. But again, that's getting married to one outcome. And I think blades is the better fighter in just about all uh, facets of the game. I think blades is going to have learned his lesson standing around and banging with Derek Lewis and getting caught. And he's going to go right back straight to his wrestling games. He knows Dana White doesn't like it. He knows the fans don't like it. But it's going to win him fights, and it's actually going to be pretty good um, DraftKings-wise, getting up that control time in those takedowns. So the pick here is Blades. I don't know. Is there any is there any way any bit to that analysis I'm missing? Not really. I think this is a disastrous matchup for Jair Rosenstreich. I just I think it's bad. Um, Curtis Blades probably would have fought for a UFC title if he wasn't knocked out by Derek Lewis in February. Um, in many aspects, Jair winning this fight is going to have to be similar to what Lewis did. He's going to have to catch him. But there's such an overwhelming athleticism advantage in Blades' favor. The guy's probably the best roster in the heavyweight division. And I know Jair defends the takedown so far at about an 80% clip, which is really good, obviously. But... Defending takedown from Curtis Blades is not the same as whoever you know was mm-hmm. coming before him. Yeah, um, I mean, Rosenstrike's been taken down twice by Alistair Overeem, tri- twice by Cyril Gaon, and twice. This is way back, but uh, twice by Junior Albini. So uh, again, those guys compared to the takedown of Blades. Right, Curtis Blades is next level compared to those guys as far as wrestling. Um, look, Rosenstrike is a one-dimensional brawler with zero footwork, and you know. It sounds crazy. You know, I think he'd much be much better suited in a fight against someone like Lewis, where he, you know what you're going to get. And at that point, you just have to hope that you land before he does and that your chin holds up. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, I expect Curtis Blaze to just ground him into dust. Yeah. Like, I expect like an early takedown in each round. And I expect him to just grind on him for, you know, the better part of 15 minutes and him to win a 30 27 decision yeah. easily. Like I, it's this doesn't do anything for me. I think this is like really straightforward. Yeah, you got me fixated. Now I'm thinking, why haven't Jair and Derek Lewis fought yet? And maybe after Curtis Blades takes care of business here, um, then suddenly it'll be time to make the Lewis fight. I mean, I, Lewis still has fights on his contract. Yeah, I mean, I'll give Jair credit. He's been better. I mean, he's he's six and two in the UFC. Um, seven of those eight fights have ended via knockout. So, you know, he's kind of all or nothing and he's been better than I thought he would. You know, I, a guy like that with, who's just so one dimensional, it's, especially if you're a heavyweight God, if you're a one dimensional power puncher and your chin doesn't hold up, you're done. Like that's like, that's it. And he's been, you know, he's held up, you know, there have been very few times where he's been severely damaged on the feet. Like at least with like one shot, like it takes, you know, many. But this is, look, Curtis Blades would have beat Derek Lewis if Lewis didn't knock him out. You know, well, obviously. But you know what I mean? If it wasn't like a one, you know, if it wasn't like a one, Curtis Blades would have destroyed Lewis as far as like overall, you know, all around MMA game and stuff. It it just, it doesn't seem, it seems like a really, really bad matchup for Jair. A guy who makes him move his feet and do something other than box is like a worst case scenario for a guy like that. Yeah. And okay. So the whole, you know, to bring this full circle, 
I, I want to touch on Valentina Shevchenko being 9,500. If you pass up on using her and can maybe use Blades and Fioro instead, you know, you, you're spreading yourself out a little bit more and you're, you're opening yourself up to high scores. I mean, granted, this is a five-round fight, but Blades had 172 DraftKings points against Alexander Volkov, all the control time, all the takedowns. Maybe go back to some three-round fights, 82 against Dos Santos, 120 against Abdurakimov, you know, 105 against Willis. He can definitely get you the 10x for cash games, and maybe those ground and pound, those elbows, you know, will get to uh, you know Jair Rosenstruck by the end if you know because nobody wants to have blades on top of you and mount for any amount of time. Period. So maybe you can get a finish there in the end after racking up takedowns and control time and turn it into a pretty good st- score. So I like him as a DraftKings play. I think the exposure should can and should be pretty high. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the, you know that's where his DraftKings scoring comes from. You know, he gets on top of you. He just throws a bunch of elbows and destroys yeah. you from top position. And, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't seen a ton of Jair Rosen strike on the ground. Um, So, I, you know, I'm not, I don't think he has a ton offensively. But from yeah. a DraftKings standpoint, you're kind of just wondering what he can do defensively. Mm-hmm. How long he, another situation of like, I think it's kind of like a little like the Lauren Murphy and Shevchenko in the sense that it kind of comes down to how long they hold up. You know, like which, you know, Valentina's dominance is probably going to come on the feet. Blades is probably going to come from top position. And then it's just how long can the opponent last? Yep. Like you right. said, the difference being that if she does last with Valentina, you have the potential for two extra rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's a very good point as well. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you reeled me back there. Cause the two rounds does make a big difference. You know, blades isn't scoring 170 in a three round fight. No. You know, he, he, that the only thing that allowed him to do that was it being a five round fight. So fair enough. Fair that's enough. That's definitely part of it. Yep. All right. Let's talk about one more women's fight on the pay-per-view card. Jessica Andrade, Cynthia Calvillo, Andrade 9,000, Calvillo 7,200. Again, big disparity among a lot of these that we're going to discuss on the pay-per-view card here. Andrade is a minus 275 betting favorite. Calvillo comeback is plus 220. Odds to finish minus 120. So I think Vegas thinks uh, Andrade is going to get this finished here. It's another $9,000 price tag to pay here. How confident are you in paying that for Andrade? I'm pretty confident in paying it. I'm not as confident she's going to get the finish, but I think there's like, like we talked about from the majority of the fights on this main card. Um, there's a gap in just talent and ability between the two fighters. Cynthia Calvillo fought um, Caitlin Chukagian last December and was routed on the scorecards. Um, she was a minus 170 favorite for that fight, which now looks just mind-numbing, you know, um, mm-hmm. looking back on it. Caitlin Chukagian is, has no ground game and no power. It's just straight-up kickboxing volume. And she still managed to overwhelm Cynthia Calvillo on the feet. It was highly, highly concerning to say the least. I was surprised by it, quite frankly, how bad she looked. Um, Jessica Andrade has lost three or four. It's not as bad. You know, it's obviously never good. It's not as bad a record as the number states when you dig a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she was knocked out by Shevchenko in April. Okay, no big deal. Um, you know, she lost. Sure, she lost to Rose Namajunas. Um, she lost to uh, you know Zhang Wili. So you know, look, her, yeah. those three losses have all come against either former or current UFC champions, and so, across different weight classes. We should know. Right. So Zhang Wili and and Rose were both, of course, at 115 pounds, which led her to say, "Okay, I need to move up to flyweight." She needed again in flyweight division. You're always one win away from a, a title shot. Right. They had no up. options. Yeah. She so took she, she beat Chukagian and then lost to Shevchenko, and now she's kind of you know, kind of back to the drawing board has to put a few more wins together. And, uh, you know, I'm with you. I think she can probably roll through Calvillo here. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, look, I'm not particularly impressed with Cynthia Calvillo. Her defense is lacking. Um, She's not explosive from an offensive standpoint. You know, it's different weight classes, but like the scouting report is kind of like Lauren Murphy. Like she kind of gets by on like grit and toughness. There's like no dynamic offensive skill, there's no high level athleticism. Mm-hmm. She's tough and Murphy's yep. tough. And that's pretty much what she's trying to get by with. Um, I do have concerns about Andra's chin. You know, I don't think it's going to be a problem here. I don't think it's a problem at flyweight necessarily. I, I mean, that happens to everybody against Shevchenko. And then, you know, the, 
straw weight i think you have some of the issues with the big with a really bad weight cut yeah, I mean, when she, she started gets... she was a bantamweight right and there was no flyweight division so yeah. for her to move down she really hurts herself to make 115 and that's not good on the chin no it's not and quite frankly she never really she was like a mediocre like 500 fighter till she dropped down and you see how muscular she is and nobody ever thought that she'd really be able to make 115 pounds with any kind of consistency and you know now she's you know she's now she's fighting at 125 so and look i mean then you're talking about you know the level of competition that she faced look i mean you know if you're getting knocked out by shevchenko you know it is what it is just because you're getting knocked out by her kind of has no bearing on whether you think she's gonna get knocked out by cynthia calvillo you know there's a massive difference um there's just a difference in talent you know i don't this is another one it's pretty straightforward i i don't see really any value in Calvillo as an underdog, you know, I don't see how she's going to generate consistent offense. You know, she can't match Andrade's technical skill. And I think if they end up along the fence and they end up in a clinch or anything like that, I'm pretty sure Cal- uh, Andrade is going to be able to outmuscle her without issue. So this is another pretty clear cut one. Yep, that's exactly what you said in the article, and I have to agree with you 100%. Everything about Andrade, when she's a favorite, I mean, obviously when she's an underdog and probably going to lose to someone like Shevchenko, this doesn't apply. But against any, whenever she faces anyone that's outside of that elite elite tier of the division, she's a volume machine and a scoring machine. I mean, 6.15 significant strikes landed per minute, just under three takedowns average per 15 minutes. So a takedown and and 30 significant strikes around is what you're getting from her on average here. So uh, she's a high scorer. It's just so tough because these underdogs, I don't like so many of them. We'll get into that in a second. Um, I don't like a ton of them. And... Um, and nope, there's you, not many you're picking what low 7,000 range fighter is going to maybe hang around to get 20 points or so from striking to try to finish your lineup, at least in cash. And I mean, I don't think Calvillo really, I don't give her much of a chance in this fight. I just think she's going to get overwhelmed. And so I can't play. And I don't think she's going to get off enough volume and Andrade before she gets overwhelmed. So I can't really advocate her in the underdogs area either. And it gets to be, really difficult for me i do want to hit on underdogs with you in a one, one second but i want to mention a couple other notes on this card here maybe we can talk about these fights if you have any particular inclination here but watch out for dan hooker and nazrat hackbarast on paper that's an awesome fight dan hooker had some visa issues i think he got him resolved and he's going to get to vegas like just on thursday and then he's got to weigh in friday morning so that's going to be tough but we found out last night hackbarast had the same thing he's got visa issues too and he needs to get a last minute approval in order to be able to get to the United States for this fight here. God, didn't Dan Hooker tweet somebody or something to get like yes. an appointment? Dan Hooker tweeted his embassy. Somehow I knew, yeah. people talk to people. MMA Twitter did its thing. They got Dan Hooker in. Hagparast, a, a week later, found himself in the exact same situation. So you know what he did? He tweeted his embassy last night, and all the MMA Twitters were doing it. You know, why not? Why not give it a shot? You got to get to the country one way or another. All I'm saying is for this, um, you know, I... I I like Hooker in this fight if it happens, but watch these guys at the weigh-ins because it might not be good. Imagine you're flying on a plane for most of Thursday, you know, because you're doing international flights. You get down, you sit in the sauna for as long as you can, and then you got to wake up and weigh in Friday morning. That has to be miserable. I think it was maybe it was Ariel Hawani or someone on Twitter suggested, why not just let him have a catchweight fight, right? Because they're the same weight, obviously. The matchup was made. Um, you know, why make these guys both kill themselves in 24 hours? Just let them fight. But anyway... The UFC is obviously not going to do that, so you have to think about that. So I wanted to mention that, and I also wanted to mention, you know, he'd be higher on any other card, but Marab Dvalishvili is a DraftKings scoring machine. He's got a tougher mat, definitely a step up against Marlon Marais, but uh, he's, like, you know, Blades, he's a takedown machine, chain wrestling, uh, you know, gets off a ton of volume, exceptional cardio. He's someone that I just wanted to note. But again, he finds himself at what I believe is 8,900 on DraftKings. So these things get really difficult really fast. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is hard because the three fight, there's, so if you take away the main event, you have Lawler and Diaz, which we we both admit no one has any idea what's going to happen. So then you have the other three fights on the main card with, you know, Murphy, Jair, and Calvillo. And I don't think either of us have any interest in any of those three from a DraftKings standpoint. From the underdogs, in the underdogs, right, at least. Right, yeah. right. So then you're trying to find something elsewhere. Um, 
Marlon Marais has looked pretty bad, man. Oof. And, you know, there was a, a time where he was probably one of, if not the best fighter, not in the UFC title contender too. It's gone. It's gone bad real fast. And yep. Marab Devos really is probably one of the top five wrestlers in the sport. I mean, it's like him, like blades. If you want to go heavyweight, like Islam Makachev with like Khabib retired, like Bosch really is like right up there. And like, there are still concerns about what he's going to do when he has to do something other than trying to take a, down, a guy down for 15 minutes. But man, if he's racking up seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 takedowns a fight, man. And he's one of those guys that you might, if he fails on the first two or three or four, Five, six, seven, eight, and nine are coming. And we talk about that all the time. Some guys fail early on and they just get away with it, get away from it the rest of the fight. Not him. He knows where his bread is buttered and he, you know, he'll keep coming. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Five, two, 13, 12, five, five, six, 11 are his takedowns. The, the guy who defended him best with John Dotson, uh, surprisingly, and his, his average over that whole run is 111 fantasy points. Per fight, he's always just a guy that, with all of these guys on the uh, and girls on the main event that are in this higher price tier, Dvalishvili is so often overlooked on DraftKings. So just he's ridiculous. Don't, don't be I the mean, person that overlooks him and, and completely leaves him out of your lineup because we like Andrash, we like Blades, you know, we like obviously Shevchenko. Um, just don't overlook Dvalishvili and make sure you mix him in there as well because he's got as high of a scoring ceiling as just about any of those. I mean, guys. for those who don't know, like his wrestling is like the equivalent of like how good it is or like Francis Ngannou's power. Yep. Like as far as like the highest, you know, like how high a level you're talking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're when you go down to some of the, uh, you know, the fights on like the undercard. It's tough, man. There's there's not a whole heck of a lot going on. Um I guess the one that stood out a little bit was Nick Maximoff against Carl Roberson and Roberson 8,200 Maximoff is 8,000. And the only reason I went with that one as an obvious one is because I just, I don't think Carl Roberson's very good. You know, he was tapped by, you know, Brendan Allen in his last fight. I, you know, I, I don't think there's a ton there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you yeah. know, he lost to Marvin Vittori, you know, you know, Marvin Vittori is good. So, you know, that is what it is, but He's up and down. He hasn't beaten great competition. He's genuinely struggled when he's faced guys who are better. And um, that was just one. There's not, you know, I don't have any. You look at some of the other underdogs on the uh, underdogs on the undercard, and, you know, like I have no interest in, like, Roxanne Mataferi, um, very little interest in Shamil Abdurakimov. Like, there's not a ton there. You know, if you're worried that – I'm sorry. If you're worried that Marais can't f- defend the takedown – and he's done, you know, you can't use him and it's a mess. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Turner maybe snuck up on me a little bit. I know the Suros Medic guy is no joke here. And, you know, a lot of times you're scared going up against, uh, you know, some of these crazy, uh, some of these strikers or wrestlers from that region of the world, if you will, here. Actually, I don't even know where Suros Medic is from. I don't want to misspeak here. Um, but, you know, Oh, he's from Alaska. Jeez, never mind. Here, I, you know, I, I thought with the name, but he's only seven and zero as as a pro fighter, and he comes in as the favorite with only a contender series fight and a and one knockout win at UFC two fifty nine. And Jalen Turner's put together back to back wins. He lost to the Steamroller for Vola, lost to Vicente Luque. There's no shame in that. Jalen Turner's got some power here. You know, one fifty five. He got a submission win against Brock Reaver, TKO a couple a couple of TKOs. Actually, a lot of. Um, eight of his 10 wins are by TKO and he's only 7,800 on this card. He's 26 years old. I mean, you're telling me that this, uh, Medich guy, you know, is going to, with only seven pro fights is going to come in there and roll over him. I don't know about that necessarily. Do you, do you know something about Medich? I don't know. So here's what I know about this fight. And it's actually one of the reasons I kind of find it fascinating. These might be the two tallest lightweights on the UFC roster. Turner is six, three and Medich is six, one. I Ooh, it's almost like uh, James Vick back in the day. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, I can't imagine Medich. I mean, he may never have faced. I'm sure he's never faced someone. He's probably never faced someone as tall as he is. Mm-hmm. And Turner, I mean, obviously, he's certainly never faced a lightweight as tall as he is. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if he's even faced anyone as close, you know, within a couple inches. Yeah. And I just want to throw out their six inch reach advantage for Jalen Turner. So, again, you know, we're grasping at straws here a little bit, but if there is an underdog that I think's got a decent shot, and, you know, maybe 
other people are going to be in the same line of thinking and end up and he'll end up with super high ownership. But if there's anybody that I'm going to throw out there, it's probably him is one of them. I'm probably throwing out him. Maybe I'll take Nick Diaz. I don't like taking Nick Diaz because of how popular he's going to be. So, so maybe, you know, I take your guy and I take Maximov. I take Maximov. I take Turner and then maybe I punt somebody. And instead of taking Shevchenko, take a couple other high, highly rostered people. That's really, I don't know. That's how I'm viewing this card here. Yeah, this is I'm for a for what is a deep card as far as like, you know, you looked at the you know no you know little cards the last couple of weeks like there there are probably seven or eight fights on this card that probably could have been the co-main event on from last mm-hmm. week, and as deep as the card is and like well-known names and stuff, this one's kind of a mess. Like we always, every time we talk, we there's always, you know, two or three. We look at the undercard and you say, oh well, you know that guy's kind of interesting. This one's kind of like a disaster. Like even the one you talked about, like you're talking yourself into Turner because yep. there's no other option. <laughs> I'm hearing you. So okay, let's let's play one last game here. I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit before we wrap up here. Um, say you're doing a three strike survivor pool here. I think we can both agree that Shevchenko is your layup. You got to pick two fighters on the card to win. That's all. So who so in your confidence pool, who would go two and three in this one? Um oh jeez. Oh god. See, like on straight confidence, blades would be second. Yep. Then you gotta worry about the knockout. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna go blades two though. I, I would have put blades two and then I'm thinking I don't know, maybe man and you know, maybe Manon's the third. Yeah, yep, she's good. I mean, Semmelsberger is a minus five. I'm, I'm sorry. You know who you know who would probably be the third? Talia Santos would probably be the third. Uh, Roxanne Modafari, isn't she due for a win, though, with her regular pattern? <laughs> I mean, is I know it, that's, I, it, that's I, garbage I, for analysis, right? But, I mean, God, she... There every- are, like, three or four women who... I know forever Jessica Penne was another. They were, like, a 10 to 12 fights deep where all they did was alternate wins and losses. Yeah, so uh, Modafari is, is 10 fights deep. She and, is due uh, for a victory. Yes, she is due for a victory. But Santos, Tyler Santos, has back-to-back wins over Molly McCann, who she just got back on track a couple weeks back, and Jillian Robertson, who I definitely have some expect or respect for. She's only had three UFC fights, though, and Mataferi's seen it all. I guess Mataferi's in the. <laughs> it's I mean, her turn for a win, but I'm done picking. Thirty-nine years old by Saturday. Yeah, her birthday. Yeah. When's her birthday? So t- September twenty-fourth, Friday. Friday. Her birthday is Friday. Mm-hmm. God, and she's yeah. like Roxanne Mod, and like God, I love like she's like one of the true like original pioneers of women's MMA. She's, she's like, a fan she, favorite. You cannot. She's the nicest like person yep. in the world. You'll never ever hear anyone say a bad word about her. And the crazy thing is, in what? So she's upwards of what mid forties total fights, forty three somewhere around there. She has yeah, only yeah, been knocked sure. out knocked out once. Which mm-hmm. God, that's she'll crazy. always hang around. She'll always she's awesome. Hang around. I don't think she's gonna win, but you know no, she's still she's still awesome. <laughs> I don't know. So, but I wouldn't completely fade her if you're making twenty or or more lineups. I mean, you're gonna have to mix up your dogs a little bit and account yeah. for some outcomes. We I don't are, think she's a scratch off completely. No, I mean, the, you know, the only God. We always say the people that win, you know, the, the big GPPs and stuff, the lineup that wins mm-hmm. is almost always going to look ugly on paper. Mm-hmm. I think it's even more. Yeah. I think it's even more true in this one than usual. It's yeah, yeah it's going to be. If real. you leave a thousand dollars in salary on the table for this card, your lineup's going to look horrific. But um, yeah, I don't know if you're mass entering. The only per the only fighter I'm actually like excluding entirely is probably Lauren Murphy here. Now, of course, Shevchenko could take a wrong step, blow her knee out, and you know. And ruin that, so that is a risky play fading somebody entirely. But that's probably I'm not many more than one or two Calvillos, um, and that's about it. I mean, yeah, it's an ugly card. So hopefully today, John and I, we gave you some things to think about if you're listening to this on the podcast. We got some good breakdowns into the main cards, threw out a couple of uh, underdog options here. We got a lot going on here. Um, I want to say again that uh, Fight IQ is coming at you on Friday night after weigh-ins. They, they go from the bottom up and, and and go through their roundtable and and offer their opinions on DFS and bets and hot takes. They do all that too. So, you know, we'll know a little bit more after weigh-ins, see who misses, who looks good, who doesn't, that kind of thing. Hopefully we got you a good early look, a good preview. 
Check out John's write-ups on the site if you miss those. So the DraftKings preview went up today. Tomorrow and the day after, we're going to have bets from Cole and Chris up on the site. I'll post picks on Thursday morning. Uh, you know, Drake does a, uh, a, a bottom-to-top preview. And, of course, Chris looks at five DFS sites in his column. So we got a ton of UFC 266 content coming your way. Thanks for listening. Thanks for helping us kick the Rotowire MMA YouTube channel off the ground here. Uh, uh, you know, I'll say it again for John Littering here. You can follow him on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Roto Jake. Any last words for the crowd, John? No. <laughs> Be creative. Be creative. Yes, that is great. That is uh, excellent advice for any uh, DFS situation, especially a variant sport like uh, MMA where you got to get get tricky in those gpps all right well john take it easy we're going to be back with you guys prior to ufc 267 that's october 30th we got jan blakovich glover to share i believe that one's being planned on as a free broadcast so a lot more eyes on there hopefully we can help you out thank you everybody for tuning in today thank you everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.